Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. This is Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. Notre Dame, a 45-32 winner over North Carolina on Saturday in Keenan Stadium. And as we all know, a 13-point differential is really not accurate to the beatdown that Notre Dame put on North Carolina. Guys, uh, your perspective from from, uh, Chapel Hill. I thought that uh, the offensive line was what, we hoped it could be to make this a very entertaining football game. The defensive line was what we figured it would be. And somehow all of that was much more than North Carolina could handle because although it was entertaining for many Irish fans, 38, 14, and uh, you're looking at a 52 point finish there. If Audrick estimate doesn't have, well, probably his best time fumble he could ever have. Cause really it doesn't matter other than cosmetically speaking that fumble against California would have been a real, real big problem. So quite an effort by the Irish uh, up front up front on both sides. And that's how you beat North Carolina. I love the way that Marcus Freeman um, in, in conjunction time areas handled the second half of the second quarter and the first half of the third quarter. Um, I wanted to see at some point this season, a game where I felt like Marcus Freeman put his thumb on the scale of the game and affected the outcome in a game Notre Dame won. And I thought that in March against Marshall and Cal, it, felt more like he was watching the game, um, was having a hard time like affecting the game. And I thought that the way that they prepared, but also just the way they managed the clock and when they got aggressive and when they took their foot off the gas and when they got aggressive again, um, I just like, I, I really thought it was a, I don't know what your coaching grade was, Tim, but I mean, it was a, it was a, a performance by the coaching staff, um, particularly the head coach. And I thought that was really significant. Yeah, it was definitely an A, and and I would have I hadn't thought of that until you just brought that up. But but you know now when you when you observe, uh, when you go back and, and and account for you know observing him during the game, I thought his involvement and his engagement in what was happening from you know play by play, series by series, I think there's something to what you say there, Pete. Uh, Drew Pine certainly put the first quarter of Cal far behind him now seven quarters into it really where he's played some really good football. And, you know, um, it's certainly, I want to put a disclaimer on everything that we talk about with the passing game, because North Carolina plays no press man. And there's a reason why they don't. It's because Gene Chizik doesn't think that they can do that. And so, you know, Dan Orlovsky is, is pointing out all the cushion that they're giving the Notre Dame receivers. And so those are free releases and that, that's, that's pitch and catch, which maybe Drew Pine wouldn't have done in the first quarter the previous week, but he's really settled in. And, you know, when guys are open, he can hit him. I think it's interesting to look back and think about, I remember asking Tommy Reese assets of Butner assets of Drew Pine in the spring. And the first thing that he said about Drew Pine was accuracy. And so, you know, now that he's settled in a little bit and he's comfortable and is running the show, I think his accuracy is is starting to come together. And he's about a 75% passer after the two passes that were knocked down to the line of scrimmage in the first series. 
He was a 75% passer for the rest of the game, and he's over 70% for the last two games. It, it seems to be flowing nicely. Obviously, we're couching everything with Carolina allows you to flow nicely. But the, I actually think Carolina's defense is pretty good since if they just get together. I mean, those 11 guys just got together for the first time right before the game in the parking lot. So if you think about it, they're, they're pretty well, really, against a college football team like that. I thought that was a nice effort by them. Did they? But yeah, no, I, I think I saw them outside practicing. They were trying to get signals down and stuff. So they, I thought they did fine. But yeah, the free the free release, the lack of tackling, tackling for Carolina fans listening is when you wrap up the guy that has the ball and you drag him or force him to the ground. Um, but I think that Notre Dame found a way to get going. There's some confidence here. I wrote about Lorenzo Styles gaining confidence, and I hadn't really thought about it until Drew Pine accidentally let it slip. He's like it's good for Lorenzo to get that confidence. Not, not that he needs any confidence, but it's good that he scored that touchdown. And I thought, you know what? That is something that can get a guy like Styles going because they do need another weapon in the passing game to show up consistently every game, and he would be it. He would have to be it. Didn't, I, I, I took that a different way. I took that as like Lorenzo Styles was super confident despite the production as if he like needed <laughs> no no ego boost at all. Yeah, but I take that as the Mike Dembrock, uh, there's confidence and then there's real confidence that actually yeah. exists in guys like Will Fuller where they don't just act like they're confident. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. I think there was, didn't after Styles scored a touchdown on sideline, um, like didn't he hold up one finger like that's my first touchdown? So maybe... Maybe it was on his mind. Just um, frustration. Frustration. I'm sure it's game. Yeah, number probably. Four. He would have a touchdown, right? You would. You would have all. We all would have guessed Lorenzo Styles would have had a touchdown before that one. Yeah, yeah I, no. I think the entire receiver position group is probably frustrated by the way the season has gone. You have to make the quarterback change. The passing game is not really happening until Saturday, and Lorenzo Styles is out there wondering, like, you know, Pete Sampson says I'm going to be a top ten receiver in program history, and here I am with no touchdowns. I mean, that's got to be. It's a lot of pressure. I bet it's T.J. Jones for crying yeah. out loud. I bet he is. He is hanging on your every word, Pete. I, yes. I have no doubt about that. But the Nordame, the Nordame running game. I mean, my goodness, Audric Estime. But what uh, baby bus? Somebody suggested that on the on the podcast. I know it's baby Gronk and that kind of stuff. But I think that works. I kind of, I like that. Don't you? I was gonna actually. I'm gonna text Jerome Bettis and see if he gives the approval for us to refer to him that way. That would subtle, be a good subtle one. brag there, Tim. So uh, that I have his number. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty good. Um, so I <laughs> do dropper. rush efficiency every week. And, you know, it's just sort of like a, a metric of do you keep the chains moving as a running back or not? I've been doing it since 2010. And Audric estimates performance against North Carolina was the highest efficiency percentage that I've ever charted and the most efficient rushes. Uh, he was 15 of 17. And one of the ones that was not efficient would have been if he hadn't fumbled to the goal line, he would have finished 16 of 17. So it was efficient right till the end too. It was just a incredible performance by him. Um, you know, you got all three, three backs all with more than a hundred yards rushing, receiving like the Roger Craig special. Um, when that, you know, it just is, I, I give the staff a lot of credit for sticking with Logan Diggs because after last week, I thought they might be like, all right, well, you're our third back and we're only going to play two. Um, and they didn't. And it benefited both Logan Diggs and the offense based on getting into, you know, a few two back looks. But um, just to now have three backs that are all firing and all confident and all feeling good, that's significant to me, too. Do you know who he reminds me of? Because Bettis was so squatly built and 
a Hall of Famer, and I don't like to compare people to Hall of Famers that are the greatest running backs you've ever seen in college football at Notre Dame. <laughs> the guy from uh, Michigan State, Colcrick, from like 05, 06, that <clears throat> Jehu Colcrick, where he yes. just, you looked at him, you're like, how are they going to tackle him when you just look at him going in? He would get loose in the rain, and there was no way of stopping him. That's that's what Estime reminds me of. He just looks like a guy that, and this is this is proven to be the case, you do not want any part of that guy in the fourth quarter when the game's over. I mean, even going back to Georgia tech last year, it was like, all right, let's put an estimate. And they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to be dealing with this right now. He's, he's a, he's a load. Yeah. I would, you know, I, I don't think I look at, I was higher on the performance by Chris Tyree than I was Logan Diggs. And I know you were the opposite way of that, Tim. And that was because no, I was just so surprised by Logan Diggs. That's what it was. I, I thought, I mean, look, remember Logan Diggs had, including the beginning of this game, nine carry or nine carries for 10 yards. Right. Well, I'm hypersensitive to his absolute refusal to hit the B gap. So, you know, I, I, it's slanted that way, but he had two incredibly well-designed, well-executed passes uh, that that he took advantage of. And then he did some things in the running game a little bit later, but I thought Tyree, I I like what Tyree did because I thought he had, he had some tough runs there where he broke, you know, he broke some tackles. It's not, he's not going to break tackles the way Audric estimate does, but right, I think right. you clearly can see that he's stronger. Uh, even his one yard touchdown run, he just put his head down and slammed into the, into the line, which I don't think that we would have seen in the past as it relates to the receivers, Michael Mayer, they came up with a multitude of ways to get him the football. I thought that was beautifully designed. It was important that, that styles got rolling. And again, the, the running backs, um, Tyree and Diggs combined for seven catches for 89 yards. It's absolutely essential that they continue to accentuate that part because beyond Lorenzo styles, I mean, you can't, you, you, you don't have any consistency with the other wideouts. I thought they designed some really good things for Jaden Thomas, mainly running underneath Michael Mayer, which is the best, What's the best way to get Jaden Thomas open? Yeah. Not have deep Michael Mayer running right, right. Yeah. yeah. Pretend yeah. like he's a second tight end. Right. And yeah. that was a, that, when you mentioned that throwing into double coverage, if you see the replay of that, that, that decision by Pine early in the game, Estime is circling out of the backfield and he is right there for him. And he forced in double coverage. But if you go to today's uh, tale of the tape on Irish illustrated, I tried to list all the negative things about uh, Drew Pine's performance, but obviously most of it was very, very positive. Do you guys know the last time Notre Dame had three pseudo backs get over hundred yards? I can tell you that I do because I wasted my morning. Tim and Jack are going to be happy to hear about this by researching this entire thing. <laughs> um, so the internet era goes back to 96. Um, so that's what Notre Dame put out at least since 1996. So I kept looking and looking and I couldn't find it. And I finally settled on one that I have, and I think Notre Dame is going to agree with me here. We are going to count this one, okay? Tony Brooks, Mark Green, and Tim Brown, because Tim Brown had 100 rushing attempts at Notre Dame, 98 in two years, and they went over 100 yards rushing and receiving. Tim Brown had 35 rushing. It does count. Other than that, we could not find one, and I've been working with ND through 1979. And I don't wow. think there's going to be one because there's not a whole lot of passes to running backs. Prior now, to probably, yeah, probably not. And since we're talking about the seventies, I know Notre Dame put this stat out after the game, the 36 first down. And I didn't realize Notre Dame 35, had 36, yeah. or th- the 35 first downs that Notre Dame had was the most 
since the 36 that Notre Dame had against Army in 1974. So um, <clears throat> North Carolina's defense is, I mean, that's shameful. <laughs> that is just, that's shameful. And I know Gene Chizik is a, is a better coordinator than that, but here's my opportunity to rip on Jay Bateman again. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Chizik is, is trying to beat the stupid out of the, the, the coaching that, that Jay Bateman gave them. I think I saw Bateman in the parking lot with those guys actually before the he game. Was. So that might have been that might have been the problem. That was it. That did it. I bet I bet he was. Um, Blake Groupie, uh, a at the time a very important forty yard field goal to make it twenty four fourteen at at halftime. And hey, you win a toss and you defer and you get the second half kickoff and go down and score and then you take a three score lead when that happens. So. Um, Marcus Freeman, not, not that it's on Marcus Freeman, but I do believe that was the first coin toss in Notre Dame one in five Marcus yeah, some, Freeman games. Somebody said that to me. That must have been. Someone mentioned that during the game. I do not pay attention to those things, so that helps. I I, I generally don't, but since they since it was the start of the Marcus Freeman era, I look back and notice that the it took till the fifth game before they want to before they want to coin toss. I'm sure we have more important things to talk about that. In segment two, and this segment of Irish Illustrated Insider has been brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Located on Fremont Street in historic downtown Las Vegas, Circa is the home of the world's largest sports book where you can watch up to 19 games at once. Want to be outside? No problem. There's no better place to take in all the college football and NFL action than stadium swim. Six pools on three levels and a 40-foot tall high-def screen to watch all the action. Irish fans, when you come to town for the Notre Dame BYU game next week, Circa is the place for you. For reservations and more information, go to CircaLasVegas.com. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame Leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Burning Up the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans, make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets and more making game day your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 to save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question from N.E. Davis, or also a.k.a. Drew Pine fan number one. How do you define what Drew Pine brings to the offense? Uh, I... You know, I think he, he, first of all, he brings great knowledge of the, the, the playbook, number one. Number two, I think he brings leadership and confidence. Um, I don't want to go too far with, with this, but, I, you know, let, let's look at a couple of things. The, the rejuvenation of the offensive line has been for two games now. 
Drew Pine has been the starter for two games now. Maybe that was ready to happen anyway, but I, but I just think that, I think that I'm not saying that they don't want to play for Butner or anything like that, but I think there's just a, a greater belief and confidence with Pine on the field. I think probably go ahead, Pete. I was going to say like, Tim, you've mentioned a couple of things and not one of them is a physical trade at all. Yeah, No, I, uh, I realize that, you know, I, I, well, I, would, uh, I, that's, I'm going to get into that in a little bit. I just want to, he's a higher ceiling. I'm sorry, a lower seeing ceiling, higher floor player than Tyler Buckner. That's um, a good way of putting it. I don't think that him getting into the lineup has anything to do with the offensive line playing well, because the beginning of the Cal game, Nobody knew the snap count that's on the quarterback. Um, so. Well, but he was, he was scared to death during, I can't, can we throw the first quarter out now, now that he's played? Count, okay. the, so the last seven too. quarter, the, well, yeah, but it's been seven quarters since. Yeah. That. The offensive line going... playing well, but I, I think that the offensive line playing well is independent of Drew Pine playing quarterback. That's, you know, I don't, I don't just, know about that because I think the offensive line has a different job description now without Tyler Buckner doing read option runs all the time too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, maybe, I don't think mentally speaking, I agree with Pete that mentally it has nothing to do with Drew Pine playing quarterback. I think it might just be, they're doing, they're, they're doing other things. I mean, a maybe they're doing stuff is, that they're better at. I don't know. Yeah. A Drew Pine I, mean, runs I, I, I don't discount that, but you don't think that Drew Pine gets them lined up and ready to go better than Tyler Buckner does. No, I do. I do. Well, fine. Uh, okay. I, I would say that, you know, when, when he, when, <laughs> when Buckner was injured, um, I made the statement that I think pine can, pine will be a little bit more accurate than, than Buckner. I think it's, a, it's, it's, I think I understated that perhaps a little bit, but again, you know, everything is slanted by free releases and everything that happened yeah, against North Carolina. There's I, a couple things I would I like to define what Drew Pine brings to the offense after the BYU game when it's a real viable defense. I agree. Yeah. And it's also not fair to it's not now BYU's fair, Stanford's fair, um USC's fair. It's not it's not okay to say what does Drew Pine bring to the offense after the Clemson game? I mean Tyler Buckner was going to get his butt kicked by Clemson too. Yeah. in terms of what he brings. Like, they can win the game. Right. It's not going to be a beautiful Drew Pine game. when If they beat Clemson, you're not going to be like, wow, that quarterback really riddled Clemson the entire time. That, that's no, not the I, I mean, it's it's sort of a spinoff of one of your things, O'Malley, like the living, breathing defense instead of quarterback. Like, North Carolina is not a living, breathing defense. Yeah, BYU um, will be. So that's a good yeah, time. Yeah, BYU too. will well, be. I'm so telling like, you, can I, he fit the ball in some windows that he didn't have to last week. That, I'm telling you right now, Notre Dame is going to run the football against BYU. Well, that's fire though. There, that's still a breathing deep. That's still a defense that you know. Yeah, that's no a true. Yeah, defense. no yeah. true. Yeah, true. I think that's why I'm putting Clemson away. Like I think Clemson's yeah line makes it hard to run the I'm, ball. I'm I'm putting every team away except for the next one. We're we're getting we're getting asked. So how do you think they're going to finish it? Did you see my prediction last week? I can I can I can barely handle a game at a time. <laughs> Well, I think this next question is related because I really want to put this one off to Brian, all right, Brian 739. Is it my imagination or is Pine's arm strength better than we all thought? I, I want to bring everybody back to the summer when we said when there were not this summer, when, when Drew Pine was shown not being able to throw the ball 49 yards in the camp, whatever he was in. And then somebody else found a 55 yard throw. Every quarterback in the world can throw the ball when they can step up and throw the ball. Drew Pine's arm strength is going to come into play where he doesn't have the ability to step up and throw the ball. That's when you say, wow, look at that arm talent. I, I, Drew Pine's throw to Lorenzo Styles was gorgeous. 
but he can't miss that one. No. And, and, and again, you know, like we talk about accuracy, let's see how accurate he is when the receivers are getting pressed at the line of scrimmage. And as far as like arm strength, the touchdown pass to styles was in the air for 44 yards. He released it at the 35 and it was one yard inside the end line. Yeah. But he can, so was, you knew he could throw that ball. Well, I mean, yeah, I know. I, yeah, I know. But I mean, it's, it's, it's effortless where it's arm strength comes into play is when, you're throwing through tight windows. He was throwing through garage door. Right. Openings into an open pool. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I don't, I don't know if this is a great arm strength one, but it's a good accuracy one. You put it on Twitter. I think Pete, um, if, if it wasn't the mayor, the throw to mayor. Yeah. That was a really nice throw. I mean, it was was only about a nine yard throw, 15 yards in the air, but he zipped one in there to mayor on third down. I thought that was a, or in the, yeah, it was a third and five throw and he hit mayor on the line and he fell forward for, six or yeah. seven i think um yeah that to me that's the kind of throw that tells me more about drew pine's you know arm strength and accuracy than maybe the one to style certainly like you know the two to digs are just like whatever um that that tells me nothing about drew pine as like a physical quarterback tells me a lot you about know? him his ability to sort of read the situation um uh, but like the one to, the one to mayor that uh he hopped like not every college quarterback can make that throw. Um, he's not an NFL, like every NFL quarterback can make that throw, but that's, that's a difficult throw to physically make for a guy who's, you know, what, five foot 10 and not super jacked up. Yeah. The throw think- to Lindsay deep that he missed deep. Someone next to me said like, Oh, I guess he can throw far. I was like, well, no, the, the highlight of that is he did not underthrow Lindsay. If you're going to overthrow Lindsay on a bomb, right. that's fine. Cause Lindsay should be able to run under one of these once every five years, he could get to it. Hey, the underthrown pass to, to mayor. He had, he, Ugh. he had, he, now he had start, he had tucked it or he started to tuck it. And then he realized he was open and tried to get the grip on. I don't think he had a full grip of that. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, that one, I mean, I'm going to, going to kind of excuse, I don't know how big his hands are, but they're probably not that big. When he tried to get a grip, a grasp on it from tucking it, he didn't get a good, good didn't get a good handle on it, but yeah, I yeah, mean, it's hey, like, man, that's, I, that's a touchdown. If Trevor Lawrence throws it right. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but like Drew Pine's yeah. not Trevor Lawrence. And that's totally fine No, Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to overplay what Pine did. I mean, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to balance the scales a little bit here that, you know, I no, I, 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 but I do stand by. I, I think that the players around him have more confidence with him on the field because I think that he knows where his ten teammates need to be. Whereas Buckner, in his stage of development, doesn't necessarily know all of that yet. I don't want to. I'm not trying to put Buckner down, and I, I don't actually know the answer to that specifically. But I would think that there's more of an inspiration coming from Drew Pine, the quarterback, than Tyler Buckner, the quarterback. We'll see moving forward. Question from Brainosaurus. Question for Samson. Did you calculate Pine's average depth of target? It seems that it was a lot higher than it was last week. I did. So what I calculated was average depth of target by completion. So I'm not including like the overthrow or the throw to Jaden Thomas on the deep shot doesn't account because it wasn't completed uh, against Cal. The average depth of completion was 0.65 yards. And against North Carolina, the average depth of completion was 5.92 yards. So that's a pretty big difference. Um, and then sort of teasing that out further, 
against um, Cal. He completed 10 passes at or behind the line of scrimmage, and he completed one pass of 10 yards beyond it. Against North Carolina, he completed five passes behind the line of scrimmage, and he completed five passes at least 10 yards beyond it. So it was a lot more of a versatile, well-rounded pass game for Drew Pine. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what games. that completing those things is going to be huge. I'm sorry, yeah. Tim, but we don't like we don't have any perspective of what five point nine or whatever you said. There's no we don't have a oh, perspective. You know zero, no, it's six. like it's we do know zero point six. <laughs> yeah, we know zero point six is five is bad. Um, and I think you know if you have five passes completed behind the line of scrimmage and five passes ten yards beyond it, like you're making the defense defend more of the field than what the Cal game plan was. Next from Mac three forty one. To what do you attribute the online playing better, better coaching, more time together, or lower competition? Well, I, I mean, I don't think it's better coaching. It's the same coaching. I don't think that Harry Heastan is going to let up whether they're playing well or not playing well. So I don't wouldn't say that. I think coaching is has uh, that part has always been good. They weren't getting through to them early on, but they are now. More time together, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just think. In, I mean, any athlete can relate to this at some point. Things click at some point, you know, when you take the next step, there's a moment in the game or there's an entire game where things just get better. Um, Drew Pine's been the quarterback for those two games. I can't completely discount that and lower competition. That's obvious. I think Jarrett Patterson very is healthier. Yeah. Also, that's a big mm-hmm. deal. I mean, Patterson was not himself in that game. He, he played it better than some of the Notre Dame offensive linemen did against Marshall, but that doesn't mean anything, right? Just because, well, I thought, I thought Patterson was the second best lineman. Good for him. I mean, they got their butts kicked up front. I think, I think he's getting back to being Jarrett Patterson. And we always make the joke about Pete. And I always make the joke of, is this a good time for the bye week? It is for Jarrett Patterson, who probably should be coming back about right now. So I'm sure he's enjoying the bye week. A little bit of Blake, rest. Blake oh, Fisher, too. I still think a poke in the eye is still head trauma to some degree. Yeah. And well, I'm sure that's better for him for this week that he's yeah, no doubt. involved. Yeah. I, um, yeah. But I, I think time together, lower, lower competitions is again, once that's a one off. But time together, they played well in the second half against better competition than Cal. Cal's defensive yeah, front. I think you got to. You got to acknowledge Cal having a pretty good defense. Yeah. Um, you know, North Carolina, the whole living, breathing thing, yada, yada. But like they moved Cal around in the second half of that game. That was, that was really significant to me. Zeke Carell's playing better and he was playing poorly for two games, right? Yep. I mean, he didn't yeah, play great then, against North Carolina, but he, if Zeke Carell played like that every game, nobody would have a problem with Zeke Carell. Well, I, I don't hear anybody. And I don't, you know, I also don't want to hear about Josh Luggett. There's no, there's no better right guard for Notre Dame than Josh Lug. And, and so, well, no, no, yeah, but we knew I mean, that. that's, yeah, but I, I mean, how in the world, the, the jump that Corral took yeah, starting he with was Cal with is poor. <laughs> he went from poor to, to the Cal game he went from poor well. to, to, to very good. I mean, yeah, I, when weird. you add everything up against Vahasek, he won. I mean, he, he beat a veteran, a veteran quality interior defense alignment. And he beat a 335 pound veteran quality defensive lineman the week before. Yeah. Right. And they had a, but then, but then North Carolina had a 355 pound <laughs> Travis Shaw, not the left handed hit, not the left handed hitter for former hitter for Mil- the Milwaukee Brewers. But well, now we can get a 29 year old nose tackle. They're playing BYU. It'll be great. He gets grown <laughs> yes. men everywhere he goes. There's no 420 pounds. <laughs> that is one thing. I mean, that is one thing that there's, 
there's no doubt you're going against in a lot of instances, men, when it's BYU now, yeah. maybe not necessarily as talented as some other schools, just pure talent. But I do think, and I've got a lot, there's a lot to still go over with BYU, but I do think that, you know, they run out of a three man front and they don't get off blocks really well. And I think their front is in trouble against Notre Dame's offensive line. If they go out, if Notre Dame's offensive line goes out and plays like they, they have. And you would not have said that two weeks ago today. So that's no, great news for Notre Dame. No, fans. absolutely yeah. not. Uh, question from uh, Dave, 80, 83rd, 82nd, 3rd. I don't know what it is. Which defensive lineman is your biggest surprise through four <laughs> games? It seems that there were lower expectations for Jacob Lacey, and he is far exceeding those. Is it Lacey or someone else? I think it's Dave, 83 ND. Oh my God. Yes, it is. <laughs> just, I mean, it's just for, I was yes, I'm literate. That, so that's the... <laughs> I'm literate. Thank you. Sorry, Dave. 83 ND. Good Lord. Couldn't so have been Lacey, any more simple than that. Lacey was our Irish illustrator was obviously very high on the defensive line coming into this year, but Lacey was our 21st ranked player on the team. Howard cross is our 19th. I think Howard cross has been outstanding. So if I had to go, higher than I thought, I guess it would be Cross because he's one of the five best performers so far, right? Lacey had a great game and Howard Cross has had has been productive for four games. I would I say Cross is the biggest surprise to me. It's not only like the production that he's had, but like the fact that he has played more snaps than Jason Adamalola or Riley Mills. Um, he's second at that position and snaps played behind Foskey and, and until last week he was first. So the fact that they're leaning into him as much as they are, and he's as productive as he is, um, that's been pretty impressive. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, he's been great. I think he – did he lose his uh, team tackle leading total? He probably did. He only was credited with two on the sheet. Do you guys know – I mean, Lacey only played seven snaps. Maybe he would tweak something. I mean, you never – for yeah. playing the game he played last week, it would be strange not to – I mean, even game plan specific, it would be strange not to roll him out there more, right, after that performance? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a game – because Chris Smith only played like six snaps, I think, or eight or seven or some, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, both were single digits. So, yeah, now I Mills, know they you know, bumped – they, they bumped Mil yeah, they bumped inside. Mills inside quite That's a bit. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And Mills played – Mills was really good. He was, he was really good. Um, and they need that from him. They need the, con you know, I thought Isaiah Foskey as a one stopper. That was about as well as we've seen him play in Notre Dame uniform. He was fired up early, man. I know two yeah. of those, he had two goal line stands. I think people missed this, uh, the first drive for many people that did not see it on the TV tapes. He had a first and second down stuff, uh, when they had to go for it on fourth down, Foskey would have been like the hero that had Josh Downs yep. not. By the way, do you guys see Josh Downs' stutter cut to get that touchdown on Bracey on replay? So if you go to – I didn't see it live. I just thought he ran a fade. If you go to, like, the ACC highlights, I started mm -hmm. doing that for X things to say because I don't have the first seven minutes. His cut on Tariq Bracey makes Bracey almost fall, but Bracey still almost gets that close. So like, <laughs> I wondered – It's incredible. It's an incredible cut. Yeah, I'm I watching wonder, it right now. <laughs> I wondered how he got so much separation. Yo, geez. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's an amazing move. For this. And that's like, a guy coming off. A, that's a guy coming off an injury. But, you know, and he did score two touchdowns. You know, the speed of Antoine Green. <laughs> I mean, that that dude, that dude is really special. They've been without him for 
the entire season, right? Prior to yeah. that. I'm yeah. not sure that he yeah. did anything. Maybe he played a little in the first guy. You know, I don't know, but they played in August. So he's really play. good. I don't understand the, the fourth and 21 blitz. Well, and I, you know, I, go though on that side thinking, I don't know why you wouldn't drop more. Yeah, I mean, Hart, Hart I, I would assume it was Hart that blew the coverage on that. Yeah. Uh, Orlovsky said that he shouldn't have squatted on that play. You know, maybe that's something under the circumstances. Hey, we need to try this to see how this works. I don't know. Yeah. Fourth and 21. It just, it didn't seem like it was necessary as long as you're, I mean, as long as you're defending, they, they didn't even defend Antoine Green on that play. So um, pretty hard to, pretty hard to know for sure. Dave, 83 ND. I got it now. W carry 14. What a, what an idiot. Logan Diggs was ne uh, negative against Ohio state and Marshall before being sidelined against Cal. He responded against North Carolina with 105 yards, rushing, receiving and a touchdown. Do you believe that is something he can positively build on moving forward? Or do you think it was an instance of him taking advantage of a bad defense? I mean, I think you can build on it. It's you're taking advantage of a bad defense, but he's, he had moments last year. He, he was not, it's always, people always get mad when you say he was overrated for what he did, but I mean, he was, he was a little overrated. He was overrated for what yeah. he did last year. I'll just say it, but I, I think he jumped Diggs, over a DB. Yeah. Diggs looked, I don't like the hesitation move that only Kyron Williams could ever pull off in the history of Notre Dame football when you're behind the line of scrimmage, but I like Diggs in the passing game. That's for sure. It's got to give him a little bit of boost of confidence. And he needed confidence, man. I mean, real confidence, not the fake kind. He was not doing anything this year. Yeah, I think that confidence is independent of your opponent. So that's real confidence that Diggs yeah, yeah. should take away from this game. Because it's, you know, maybe this happened against UNLV or something, then you feel a little differently. But, like, you're under a Power 5 opponent. All If you have a great game against a Power 5 opponent, you had a great game against a Power 5 opponent. Yeah. So. Logan, Logan Diggs, especially the, like, you know, he was, he was ill then misses the game. You're like, but he could have played. It didn't really add up. Um, no, so I don't think any of that back into it. That's significant to me. I don't think any of that really adds up, but that's neither here nor there. I loved, he had a 17 yard run where he had a head of steam and you see him in the open field. That's where, you know, once he gets gets past the the initial surge of a defense and gets out in the open field. I love that 17-yard run because you can see what great, yeah, what great yeah. hips he has in space. But then I don't, you know, I, then he does a, a spin move. When he when he did run between the tackles, he ran a spin move, which, you know, when it works, great. When it doesn't, we say, oh, don't use the damn spin move. But I just, he, he needs to be a more consistent back. I would imagine Adela McCullough, is really insisting that he runs between the tackles and he just, he doesn't always do that, but he added a significant amount to the passing game. And that 17 yard run was beautiful. Next from pin and pole. And I read this differently than you guys do. So I'll let you guys answer. Do you anticipate Mitch Levins being on a high pitch count against BYU? Does he have the trust of coach Reese to be seen as a legitimate option in the passing game? Is he back? I did. He was it not said that he would be back for BYU. I feel like that was the coach speak answer. If he, did. I thought he was going to be back practicing. Yeah, I I interpreted like he was going to. Yeah, because we were thinking later practicing in, again. Yeah, for BYU maybe later in October. All right, so let's yeah. think of it this way: He had July. Was it July first, or am I thinking of Kevin Austin? He was July first. Um, metatarsal surgery. 
Mm-hmm. Kevin Austin was July 31st. Is that right? Am I getting that It was that at the wrong? end of July for Austin. Okay, and Kevin Austin came back this exact week, and it was way too early, and he broke it again. Yeah. So this is one month. Yeah, maybe he could be back. It's one month in advance well, or extra, or one month after Kevin Austin would have come back to break his you know, Davis, <laughs> da- they, re- they used Davis Sherwood a lot. He did a really nice job. He did a really, really nice job he teaming did. up with – but, you know, later in the game, uh, you know, Raritan stays. I, you know, Raritan is a scrappy dude, man. If I mean, he looks like, like a, that nine months removed from ACL surgery. That's going to yeah. be something. And, and a guy years. without a lot of bulk, he's strong. I mean, all of the, you know, his teammates marvel at what an athlete he is. But, I mean, he kind of looks like a pencil at the, you know, attached to the end of the line of scrimmage. And he's very aggressive. Stays did some good things. But Sherwood got most of the, the reps with with mayor and he's an excellent blocker. He's, I mean, that's, that's his job. They're not, yeah. yeah. There's an element of surprise throw to him coming in, which I also think that there is with Raritan as well. But um, yeah, I, you know, whether Evans is ready or not, Sherwood is still a guy that they can count on. I mean, Sherwood earned a scholarship faster on campus than Chris Fink or Salerno or other guys too, or Joe Schmidt. Like Sherwood just showed up and got a scholarship before his second season. That's, he obviously had a role they wanted to secure for him. Um, I, I got Marcus Freeman's quote. Uh, Mitch, he's not ready yet. I hope he's able to get back, hopefully, by the B- BYU game or soon thereafter. Okay. He's okay. out of the boot and making progression. So that feels okay. like you're practicing the week of BYU but not playing and then practicing the week of Stanford and maybe getting some reps. Or maybe getting a little bit of work this week just to – I mean, he's probably running around a little right. bit this week. I, don't know. I think it's just worth remembering that Mitchell Evans was the – tight end two on the team, not Kevin Baldwin. Yeah. He's good. When he comes back, he got hurt. Like, right. He's, he's, I think has a chance to be really, really good. And to answer the question, whether Reese trusts him in the passing game. Yes, he does. I believe he does. I think it'll take him till November before you see Mitchell Evans be a very like reliable player on the field. If you were just coming back, well, he comes back against Stanford. He's he's Mitchell Evans. He's not Michael Mayer. He's got a, Get back right. into it, right? It's and November is fine. Like there are some big games in November. Yes. Yep. Next from Welch Brian eleven twelve. Will Prince Kali be more in the rotation with Bertrand sitting out another half? Also, do you or don't you agree with Bertrand's targeting call on Saturday? I thought Kali looked comfortable and aggressive. How many snaps did he get, Tim? Yeah. It's ten, I think. Yeah, he had ten, 10 snaps. Yeah. Uh he almost got a didn't they? almost call a targeting call on him. So he was aggressive and attacking. <laughs> it's the good type uh, of targeting call. The one that's not called. Right. Hey, you know, the, the, I want to, I want to bring this up, you know, um, Kaiser played a lot of inside linebacker. Leah foul when he's not constrained, constrained, yeah. so to speak. I mean, don't, wouldn't it make more sense to, I know Kaiser can play both and he will play both, but I'd like, you know, I'd like to see Kali in that, in that pass rush mode, because he is just a, he's a natural and, and either, either he splits, either he splits the double team or he makes them account for him. Do you mean Leofau? What'd I say? Kali. I'm talking about Leofau. Yes. I'm yeah, sorry. Yep. Yeah. Leofau. Um, <laughs> thank you, Tim. I would well, have gone I mean, on and Kali on. in the future will probably be splitting some pass rush modes. Yeah. Too, no, but, but, but right now Leofau is very, very natural at that. And you know, I mean, I could see him getting more, more reps outside, more of a rover position. To me, that's a more natural position for him than inside linebacker. I think it's an interesting way to look at it. And 
I kind of agree. Um, I think that Leofau, when he's moving forward, is outstanding, and when he's moving laterally, is not. Um, you know, he's got his style of play is aggressive downhill, and I think that when he's reading things out, you sort of lose some of the some of the best parts of his game. I thought Orlovsky did a good job, but I, the weirdest comment I have heard is when he said he has such tremendous natural instincts. That's the one way I would not describe Maris Leofau. Well, I think Nat, I you I I know what you're saying, but I think maybe he means when you put him in attack mode. Yeah, I think he's tremendous at going and getting somebody. Yeah, yeah, but I agree with you, Pete. I don't think you want to. I mean, I don't know that he's a he's a diagnostic type player. I think you want to put make him a, put him in a position to be aggressive. And man, I, I mean, I'm really impressed with what he does at the point of attack because he absolutely makes the opponent account for him. Yeah. I think a uh, Diacoism is block destruction. And like when Maris Leofau runs into a block, the guy who's trying to block him is going to feel it. Even if he is an offensive lineman. Yep. Question from Wade up one. It seems like these guys play better on the road. I think it's because the atmosphere inside Notre Dame stadium can be a wet mop. Sometimes I'm, am I the only one seeing that? I like the use of wet mop. That's <laughs> it's my second favorite behind when you describe somebody that dresses like a laundry hamper from uh, the guy from the <laughs> Lions head coach. <laughs> a wet mop atmosphere, huh? That's good. Uh, well, they played well on the road recently under the Brian Kelly era. I might point out we're really good into the Brian Kelly era on the road there in the last five years. Pretty good at home too. Never bring that up. Didn't exist. I like the atmosphere at North Carolina was like kind of wet mopish so i don't i don't know why it would make a difference i have an answer for him actually uh in the preseason i said the worst atmosphere of the season would be marshall because nobody would care and the second worst atmosphere would be california which is why they have to wear green because nobody cares and the third worst atmosphere is going to be unlv and that might be the worst one because no one's going to care so i will tell you one thing a lot of notre dame fans don't care enough about home games but clemson's going to be lit and that's we get a very twisted view of road atmospheres because the opponent is always Notre Dame. Yeah, you're that's a great point. Like that everywhere we go, we don't we don't go to cover um Syracuse is gonna be crazy for Clemson Dame. Elon. Like we're there for Clemson Notre Dame, like in the atmosphere amazingly is awesome. Or we didn't cover Ohio State Toledo, we covered Ohio State Notre Dame. Guess what? The atmosphere was awesome. So it's, it's hard to do, like, I appreciate the wet mop analogy here, but it's just hard to like, yeah, it's not apples to apples with this stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's too small of a sample size to say that. I mean, I, I think the opinion is being based upon four yeah, but games, Tim, two at BC, home and two BC on the road. And UNLV are not going to be great atmospheres. That's just well, I know, but that, that, but that, but that, I don't think that has anything to do with how they played up to this point. I mean, they won 20, they won 26 games in a row at home. That, that, that streak just ended last year. I, I don't, I don't think that that's the issue. I, I, I just think that they, they didn't have it all together against Marshall. They started to put it together against Cal. I mean, they played, they played, I know the score was close, but, they played very well after a certain point. I don't, I mean, I don't think that that's what it is. I think Notre Dame is just trying to get their sea legs as they, they embark upon the first season under Marcus Freeman. I would rather play Clemson at home than at Clemson. If we're going to, uh, that, what you that would be true. Mops. Yes. Yeah, that would be Dober true. 94. Yeah. I think he's, uh, talking about the good parts of this game. Yeah. 
But about that secondary, was it five touchdown passes given up? It was five town five touchdown passes given up to the guy that came into the game with the most touchdown passes in the country. He's really good. He's going to be really he's Drake May is just just barely scratching the surface of what he's going to be. Uh, and he threw yes. five touchdown passes. <laughs> he is quite good. There was Kai. I wish I had gone back and charted this, but like there was a throw he made over the middle against zone where he fit a ball between like Leah Fowl and. Oh, I linebacker. know what you were. Yeah, there were like three and or I'm four just guys like, around. Holy it. crap! Like the just the physical tools. Like he's a very toolsy player to get all like drafts speak, but um, yeah, that guy's that guy is really good. Um, it's why, hey, it's why I picked North Carolina to win the game because he's an outstanding quarterback. And I think after the first drive, like, what did we say in the preview podcast? Like, we were talking about Drake made the runner. He runs for six first downs. Like, Notre Dame's going to lose. He, he ended up running for five um, and throwing for 300 yards and five touchdowns. Like, a bit of a one-man show, but it's a really good show. To quote Lester Comiskey from Eight Men Out, five is not six, Pete. So that it was not enough. And that is why I picked Notre Dame to win the football game. So no, I just, <laughs> I would like to point out, yeah, those five touchdown passes, I don't know if it matters, but you know when Every time you look and say those late touchdowns don't matter, you, since you start looking back, like, yeah, maybe they matter a little bit. And so in some instances, I, you, you don't want to give those up, right? That's not just. No, you don't. And I will just to put a finer point on it, two of those five first downs that he ran for Pete came in a, in the first series, 32 of his rushing yards came in the first series. They did a really nice job after that. And that was how yes. they used Leah Fowl. You know, that's another thing Leah Fowl did well. I mean, you know, he's blitzing. He's blitzing on a play. He doesn't get through. And then he adjusts and makes yeah. the tackle on May as he tries to scramble. I mean, that's, that's multitasking there. That, that was a hell of a play that he made, but yeah, I mean, North Carolina is going to throw a whole bunch of touchdown passes this year. Notre Dame is not going to be the only victim. Uh, Green had not played. I checked back. Antoine Green had not played. He was he had not played. Yeah, so yeah. They now yeah got that's a, Green I mean, and Antoine. Downs back to that. I, like, a totally fair question. We, you know, this was a conversation on last week's podcast. Like Notre Dame secondary, how good are they? Yeah, no, that's fair. And yeah, kind of just, I'm not really sure. Other than Tariq Bracy. Final question from who JND fan. I realize this team needs all the practice time it can get, but is too much during the bye week going to put this team in another Michigan game position like 2019? Did you not uh, cringe? Did you not cringe when you heard the same when you heard Marcus Freeman say we're going to I did. Yes, I did. He when he was asked about how, how he would handle yeah. yeah. How uh, you know how you will handle the the bye week and he basically said I hope they're ready to come to work and Somebody send yeah. him a note. There's no Brian Kelly leftovers other than Tommy Reese, right? Someone send him a note and let him know that that's not Tommy right. Reese should, should, I think he's got better access than we do. I, uh, yeah, I, I think that is a bit concerning. I think he needs to be smart. You know, I mean, you think about, I mean, there have been, you know, Drew White and Maris Leofow were injured in practice last year. His practices are physical, man. I mean, he does. And he does too, right? Yeah, K and I too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, in that, you know, that I, I sure. get that 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 happens, but you do have to be careful because I don't think Brian Care, uh, Kelly was careful in 2019 in the bye week leading up to Michigan, and everything went wrong in that game. And so you have to you have to assess, you know, what how you handled that. 
Hey, we do did tell think, Al Golden. Um, we did tell I was Al Golden. Say, Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, do you think walking to the stadium uh, in Las Vegas, you will feel like you felt walking to the stadium in Ann Arbor in 2019? It won't be raining as hard. That's right. I think that the weather will not make you not want to play football before this game, the start game even starts. What is it? Or cover football. O'Malley, as we were getting our, as we were checking into Michigan Stadium, what did I say to you? No, that I night? came I came up the elevator. You already looked like the, the game was over. I'm like, uh, what happened in here? <laughs> you're with like, you're with Phil Houck, and he looked at me like I thought yeah. everybody was out due to injury or something. The reason we might not be totally dialed into covering the BYU game won't have anything to do with the weather, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Can you see the rumor on our board that was too good to be true? Obviously, they're going to move it to noon. Oh, God, it was awful. Yeah, that that was that's that wasn't going to happen. Well, hey, we appreciate everybody for joining us here for Irish Illustrated Insider. We will be back. Someone text Marcus Freeman and tell him about that thing, though. If you're going to text Jerome Bettis, someone should text Marcus Freeman and tell him not to practice too hard during the uh, during the week. Okie dokie. Well, we're going to have a pot. We're going to have a recruiting podcast on uh, Wednesday of this week, September 28th. Our plan is to have a uh, special guest from 24 seven sports, Tom Loy, to give us a little bit of a different recruiting slant from what we normally have with Kevin Sinclair. So until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider.